0: Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. 103.1 FM, 910, 980 AM, or anywhere on the Odyssey app. 26 degrees outside at 527. Well, you just heard the press conference today of this after action report from Attorney General Merrick Garland. And whatever you think of him, and again, a lot of people don't think highly of him and his, what he's done in his position. Uh, This is a necessary fact. Uh, Just because it's coming out of his mouth doesn't mean this is not valuable information. Now, it's not pointing fingers. It's an after-action report. That's what it is. I know it sounds like there's fingers pointing, and there's a lot of things to correct. There there were a lot of mistakes made that day. It doesn't mean anybody's actions were less heroic. It doesn't mean that anybody, you know— didn't go through a lot that day, but there were a lot of shortcomings. And one of the main things that I pick out of this, one of the main things that, that I see that – especially someone who who writes emergency action plans, somebody who designs them, somebody who's certified by the Department of Homeland Security to do such with an operation value of risk, threat, and assessments um, – is we need to stop putting people in leadership positions. And that's – in law enforcement and in our military, It's it's more imperative – uh, that do not have the skill set to be there. Now you had a chief of the Uvalde school police, who, in all honesty, shouldn't have been there. Didn't have the skill set, didn't have the training, didn't have the the uh, background to be in the position he did. But he was the chief of that school's police department. So when responding officers got there from multiple departments and are looking for for someone to take charge, you know he's the one wearing that uniform, and he didn't take charge. He he gave wrong commands. He gave um, uh, he gave orders that were that were against uh, proper training and procedures, but there's more than that. Uh, we still have schools today that do not do uh, active shooter training because you know it's too traumatizing for their staff. It's too traumatizing for their students. We still have police departments do, that do not play well with others. That needs to change. We who do. We have police departments um, who do not have that. Uh, national incident response training to when you know you have a command like this where it's multiple agencies that some have never worked together and get there, how do they operate? What's the standard operating procedures that flow between departments and such like that? Um, you have departments who are under-equipped in this day and age that don't have the proper resources to tackle something like this where there's not an excuse for that. Every police department in our nation should have the proper equipment. To to handle any threat that there is out there, if it be locked in their trunk or secured in their vehicle or on their person, um, and there was there was many things to go on. Like I said, I went through uh, a lot of this six hundred, uh, just under six hundred page review. Um, it will focus on 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 a lot of the police presence, but there was a lot for the school. Uh, schools were not this school specifically was not following its policies on secured doors. Uh, they found more than not doors were left unsecured. They were not following their policies and procedures that they had in place in securing door, and it wasn't enforced. That was a big thing. If you have a rule like, hey, all the doors need to be closed and locked, and you don't enforce it, then over time, we all know that how that works. There is no such rule. Things don't get um, locked and secured the way they should. Not that that was a reason for this, but it's part of the overall picture. The purpose of this is to read it in its entirety, look at the things that may affect other organizations, and what can you do better to prevent that? What things weren't they doing or did they do that worked or didn't work that you can now encompass into yours? But, again, one of the biggest things when you get to a situation like this and it's chaotic and there's shots being fired and there's children and staff being shot. Now, mind you, 19 kids were killed and two staff, two staff members Um it took uh, a border patrol agent from Bortac who was underpowered, had a shotgun, I believe, had a, had kids in that school, and could care less about his safety, and took the lead when he got there because there was such indecisiveness in what was going on, because of poor leadership that was there, people that didn't take charge. Uh, respectively, the the Uvalde police chief who resigned shortly after because it came after the fact that he was in above his head he did not have the skill set to be in that position thought it was a cushy school s- police job and you know nothing would ever happen but god forbid this happened um those are the things that this needs to be looked at so I, you know there are going to people uh, there there are going to be those people out there who want to weaponize it against law enforcement weaponize it against these things but professionals look at it for what it is an after after-action report. Um, Because hindsight, you do have a very wider view of what went on. You can pick apart over years, over days, weeks, months, over something that happened in seconds. It's easy to do. Um, And anyone who looks at these, they are not uh, an attack on anyone. Uh, I think that they came from within. You'd had the police chief um, from that school resign because obviously realized that he was in above his head. And those decisions that he made, where he called a barricaded suspect rather than an active shooter, that means a lot in response terms. It means uh, you know surround, contain, and negotiate uh, while there was active shots going on. That's not a thing. It's an active shooter, uh, and you need to confront at all ri- at all risks. And that's the way the training goes. That's the standard operating procedures when it comes to active shooters. And it wasn't done. There was miscommunication and mismanagement after the shooting. And again, very traumatizing situation. It's understandable. But how do we do it better? How do we set situations up better? Uh, The last time when I ran a local school district through a tabletop exercise of just the report of an active shooter, um, their roads were clogged up within five minutes. Response time for local police with eight minutes. Response time for air, outside area police were 12 minutes. You're looking at 20 to 40 minutes for uh, the state police response. When you have your roads jammed up, how are they getting there? You're, now you're making police park a quarter, half mile away, grabbing their gear and huffing it to the location. That's what's going to happen. In these situations, that's how you learn these things. That's how you learn how to do it better. And again, they made notifications to families that their kids were okay, who were actually deceased. Um, How do we do that better? How do we set it up? You know, uh, again, one of the things that I've walked a school district through is where is your reunification ahead of time? I mean, this should be thought of in your emergency action plan, where you say it's got to be far away from where your location is. You should have multiple locations depending on what schools you have. Elementary schools go to this location. High school go to this location. But they have to be out of your containment zone. They have to be out of your response zone. So parents and families flooding to those reunification areas aren't clogging up the response to the scene itself. Uh, So there's a lot of things to think about here, and I understand... It comes across as critical, and people will use it in a critical way, but it's truly not. After-action reports are necessary. They are a valuable asset if they're used properly. It's uh, 535 here at WILK. We'll be back after the news. Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. 26 degrees outside, 540. There is some snow moving through the area. It might hit the ground, might not hit the ground. Well, this is something that I've been saying to keep an eye on, especially here in northeast Pennsylvania, and they're feeling it in the downstate communities out in Illinois from Chicago. Migrant influx to Illinois is being felt in the downstate communities. Tens of thousands of migrants have been transported to the state from the southern U.S. border. The city of Chicago reports 33,000 asylum seekers have arrived since August of 2022. The state of Illinois has provided $640 million to address the migrant influx, The mayor of the city is facing a projected $538 million budget budget deficit in 2024, and a financial burden his administration blames on the caring of migrants. Now, it's starting to affect their southern counties. McLean County board members introduced a measure that would be used to county tax dollars to support migrants that may be dropped off in central Illinois' county. A lot of these sanctuary cities are starting to say enough And other places are starting to say enough because we don't have the resources to take care of them. Um, Grundy County has declared itself a non-sanctuary county and went as far as posting signs on the interstate warning bus drivers not to stop in their towns. The signs have since been taken down. Um, With bills mounting on their table and trying to pay for health care, yet other here come here illegally and you get health insurance doesn't make any sense. A uh, state senator of Illinois said one of two states that providing health care to immigrants. The legislation sends a message that Illinois is not the sanctuary state to come here for free health care. They said including in the bill package would be the elimination of the Trust Act, which prohibits local police agencies in Illinois from contacting U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement. It's amazing how when this starts hitting the suburbs and the communities around Chicago, how lawmakers are saying, Maybe we do want our police helping Immigration and Customs Enforcement to help with the illegal migration crisis, Um, being that we live not too far from major sanctuary areas, Philadelphia, New York City, New Jersey, uh, uh, Connecticut. uh, We are a good stopping point, so we should start paying attention to these things, especially um, with what's going on in the areas that it's expanding to near us. It's 542 at WILK time for traffic and weather. And thanks, Rob. This traffic update is brought to you by Data Internet. We have an accident 81 northbound around the Pittston exit. That has you backed up to music. Also, an accident right near the Montage Mountain Road, Davis Street exit may be slowing you down as well. There is some slowing through the Scranton area on 81 northbound. Expect heavy traffic on... Route 315 in Plains. We're also seeing bumper-to-bumper traffic on North Main Avenue in Scranton. Whenever you see a traffic problem, call our jam line, 570-883-7269. Nikki Stone, WILK Traffic. Thank you, Nikki. Here's the Storm Tracker 16 forecast from Chief Meteorologist Kurt Aaron. A winter weather advisory has been issued for parts of northeast and central Pennsylvania due to the expected snowfall tomorrow. The steady snow arrives in the morning after 6 a.m. along our southern tier and will gradually move north throughout the morning. The snow will begin heavy at times between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m., accumulating 1 to 3 inches across the region. Tonight, cloudy with light snow and flurries, low 23. Tomorrow, snow showers, heavy at times, high 29. Again, that snows 1 to 3 inches likely. Friday night, Again, this should be out of our area by about 6 o'clock. Friday night, cloudy, breezy, and frigid with flurries low 15. Saturday, mostly cloudy, breezy, and even colder. High 19, wind chills below zero. Sunday mix of sun and clouds high of 30. It's 26 degrees and light snow here at 544 at your official weather station, WILK. Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. 26 degrees outside at 544. Five forty-seven. The Rob O'Donnell show is brought to you by Road Scholar Transport. You have unique shipping needs, and Road Scholar has unique shipping solutions. Dry van temperature controlled and high security are just a few. Visit Roadscholar.com. Well, a house probe starts after $127 million in bailout funds paid to Dead Teamsters Pension Plan. The Biden administration is facing a new congressional probe after an agency that distributed tens of billions of dollars from the American Rescue Plan failed to stop $127 million from going to deceased participants in a Teamsters pension fund. The House Education and Workforce Committee sent a letter on Tuesday to the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation, PBGC, demanding records relating to the agency's mismanagement and overpayment to the union's pension plan, according to a copy of the missive exclusively obtained by The Post. As part of this investigation, the committee requests documents and information relating to the PBGC's dispersal of these payments and its plan to recoup these significant taxpayer funds. Chairwoman Virginia Fox, Republican of North Carolina, and Subcommittee on Health, Employment, Labor, and Pensions, Chairman Bob Good, wrote, Taxpayers rightfully expect agencies like PBGC to take the necessary measures to ensure that their funds are protected and spent wisely. Instead, PBGC reckless disregard of prudent steps in a case study of waste and abuse the committee intends to conduct robust oversight of the PBGC's negligence, including possible testimony before the committee. A November 1st memo from PBGC's Office of Inspector General found the International Brotherhood of Teamsters Pension Fund received money for 3,479 dead members out of a $35.8 billion allocated from President Biden's 2021 American rescue rescue pan. The federal auditor revealed that the PBGC failed to consult the social security administration's full death master file. It's called the DMF before distributing the dollars to the teamsters central state's pension fund, which includes almost 350,000 members and is one of the largest multi-employer plans in the nation. The agency blamed limitations of some of its vendors' accuracy for the flub in a November 2nd statement responding to the memo and said it would not try to recover any funds since none were paid directly to individual pensions. As far back as 2018, PBGC's Office of Inspector General, OIG, has instructed PBGC that using the DMF is essential to prevent overpayments as a result of funding annuities for dead people, Fox & Goods said in their January 6th letter. Now, again, this isn't an issue with the Teamsters. This is an issue with the PBGC, who takes these federal funds for this act and distributes it. As far back as 2018, they've been informed to consult with the Social Security administration's full death master file before distributing dollars. And they failed to do so. And they made this mistake, again, $127 million, and then said, oops, yeah, we're not going to look to recoup that. Now, if it was you or I that the government accidentally sent more money to, like, say, on a tax refund or anyhow, You know damn well they'd be saying, hey, we overpaid you X, Y, and Z. We want it back tomorrow. Or there's going to be consequences. So, again, this is the organization that was handling the disbursement, the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation. It just happened to be that this was the Teamsters pension plan that this is involved with. And because they're so big, it's such a great amount of money. Like I said, 350,000 members, but 3,479 dead members. And all the PBGC needed to do was consult with that Social Security Administration's full death master file. And realize that, okay, well, these people no longer live. We're going to reduce that amount from your total disbursement. They were told of this back in 2018. Disregarded again, your government workers at their finest. And again, amazingly, in its response report, the PBGC asserted that the payment should not be subject to recovery actions, they added. In the same vein, the Central States Pension Fund claims it neither owes nor intends to pay back these taxpayer dollars. By all appearances, the PBGC intended to shift taxpayer dollars to the Central States Pension Fund in an unauthorized windfall and refuses to get the money back. In a November 14th, Senate Health, Education, Labor and Pensions Committee hearing, International Brotherhood of Teamsters President Sean O'Brien told lawmakers he assumed the government would recoup any misspent funds. I'll go on record as saying if someone was given something that they weren't entitled to, they should refund it. So you have the president of the Teamsters Union saying, "Yeah, if you gave us more money than you should give, tell us what it is and you should get it back. Fox and Good also said that the mismanagement cast doubt on the PBGC's implementation of the larger program, the $91 billion Special Finance Assistant Program, SFA, saying central states have sent a follow-up letter to the inspector general office and implied it would use the money as the personal slush fund to help it achieve this statutory objective and remaining solvent through 2051. Inspector General Nicholas Novak previously told the news reporters that there was no clawback function available to the PGGC as part of the American Rescue Plan, through which the Biden administration provided more than $80 billion to other multi-employer pension funds. So they don't even have a method for them to recoup this money back. The panel members have asked for documents and answers to the questions of matter be returned by January 30th. A spokesperson for the PGBC previously denied that the agency improperly paid any funds to pension plans and that no deceased participants were immediate beneficiaries. Um, Well, the evidence shows otherwise. Again, no accountability, and these are billions upon billions of dollars. Now, if you think they did this with the largest, the Teamsters, which is just probably the easiest to catch, don't you think they're making these same mistakes? Do you think they didn't check the Social Security death rolls for the largest union payment there is, but did it for smaller ones? No, they didn't. And you want to ask why we have such a deficit. It's just incredible at all aspects. And, and these are the same employees, the same programs that just love the status quo and don't want anything changed, and don't want anything looked at. There are levels. There's obviously an inspector general. There's obviously congressional oversight. And even when they find it and start asking questions, it's like, yeah, we don't even have a way to get that money back, and we don't plan on it. So you keep looking in whatever you want to look at. I'm sorry you lost $127 million of uh, taxpayers' money, but it's just taxpayers' money. It's a— Pretty outstanding, isn't it? Oh, it's coming up on 5.56 here at WILK. We'll be back to close out the Rob O'Donnell Show in just a minute. Well, that's it for the Rob O'Donnell Show on this Thursday, January 18th, 2024. Again, it's 26 degrees. There is some light snow in our area. Don't know where it's hitting, where it's not hitting the ground, but just be careful out there. We've had a lot of bad accidents in our area. Remember, we do live in northeast Pennsylvania. Weather does get bad. It does get slippery. Take your time. Get where you're going safely because, uh, You know, without your safety, there's nothing much after that. I had uh, some audio I wanted to play today. I didn't get to it. I'm going to try and get to it tomorrow of uh, the head of uh, Morgan Stanley, who was a lifelong Democrat. He was actually almost tapped to be uh, President Obama's Secretary of the Treasury uh, and was not, but uh, he basically called Democrats to task about. Their name calling, their grouping together when it comes to, you know, that MAGA mantra and such like that. And it's interesting to come and, and listen, I, I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. If if there's a very smart man talking, very accomplished man talking, woman talking, regardless, a uh, person talking, uh, you listen to what they have to say. And he was on CM, CNBC uh, the other night and uh, gave a great uh, space and says, listen, we all need to get where we're going at the same pace, uh, and we're gonna, but uh, we have to stop, you know, lumping everyone together simply because you you don't like a certain person, anyone who says, yeah, I'm going to vote for them. They're not necessarily bad. They just have different reasons than you do, different beliefs than you do, and we need to start respecting that. And it was a real, real poignant uh, speech he gave on CNBC, and I'm going to play that audio for tomorrow, but again, he's a lifelong Democrat who actually was um, looking at Nikki Haley. Didn't endorse anyone, though, yet, but gave a good speech. We're going to play that tomorrow. It's uh, coming up on 6 o'clock here on WILK. God bless, be safe, and we'll see you tomorrow.